All right, it is great to be with you, church. I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life. Uh, to those uh, with me today in the room, to those watching or listening online or through a podcast, we're so glad that you're a part of this as well. We are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. My name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor, and uh, today we're concluding a series that we've been in for the last three weeks. And so I wanna invite you, if you have a journal, you've been bringing it back with you, to go ahead and get that out. Go to week three of your journal. We're gonna conclude this series today, and, and hopefully this series has helped you to, to think about God in, in a little bit of maybe a different term or a different way as we have explored some critical questions together. If you've got your Bibles, we are in John chapter 2. So if you've got a physical analog Bible, go ahead and get that out. Go to the New Testament. Four books in, you'll find the book of John. If you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, uh, it's okay to get that out and to get your spot there as well. Uh, if you are a regular with us, you know that we use that every week and we invite you to read it for yourself as you see how these ideas play out together. Now in this series, we've been asking questions that I would suggest are important questions uh, no matter where you're out in the spectrum with Jesus. Some of you may be here today and you go, look, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I'm on the fence with Jesus. I'm trying to figure out whether or not, you know, Jesus is who you guys think he is. And if that's you, we are so glad that you're here, that you are a part of this with us. You are absolutely welcome to be a part of this before or if ever you agree with us on all this. We're just glad that you're here. This is a safe space to ask these questions. And some of you, you may go, I, I've been following Jesus for decades, and we're so glad that you're here, but you need to think through these same questions as well. As we began on Easter asking this question, is Jesus really alive? And I made the point that the, the resurrection of Jesus is the hinge point for all of Christianity. That if you lose the resurrection, if the answer to this question is no, the rest of this does not matter. And, and I, I made that point on, on Easter. The, the next week, last week, we talked about, is Jesus really God? So it's one thing, is he alive? But like, if he is alive, then what does that mean about who he is? And we looked at, in particular, uh, the role that the crucifixion plays, not just the resurrection. And if you miss either one of those, I encourage you to go online. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can watch those and see how each of these questions kind of builds on each other, even though they each stand alone as well. Now, today I wanna ask the question, is Jesus still with us? Because if he is alive and he is God, then the, the question is like, so what? What does that mean for you and I, and I would like to suggest that then we should ask the question, is he still with us? Before we ask that question, though, there's, there's a more pressing question. And that question is, wait a minute, um, do I want Jesus to be with me? Do I, do I want the idea of Jesus always around? And so maybe you're going, like, whoa, 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 that means like he's with me like on Tuesday? And like, Friday night and like last Friday night, you know, now you're thinking like, whoa, 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 slow down, pastor. I don't know that I'm ready for this idea that Jesus is still with me like always. And if you're honest, maybe a few of you look at Jesus kind of like this cat. Check this out. He's coming for you. You know, I don't know. 
It all depends on your view of Jesus, you know? And if you like Jesus and you are excited about Jesus, then you're going to like the idea that he is with you. And if uh, you're not really on board with that, maybe today's message will terrify you. Either way, that's up to you. Uh, so let's explore what does this look like? Because I would suggest if Jesus is alive and if Jesus is really God, then we can conclude that Jesus is still with us. And I would suggest that this is how Jesus himself invites us to experience him. And even though this idea might not be like a profound idea to you, most of us do not live as if this were true. Most of us, even the Christians in, in, you know, in our room, do not live as if like, yes, we fully embrace this. We seem to miss this or neglect it. For example, there was a prayer that Jesus gave. We, we now call it the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus was instructing us on how to pray and, and what kind of a thing should be in a prayer. And, and so he gave us this, this, this template, if you will, and some of you may have grown up memorizing this prayer and reciting it, but I wanna key in on one phrase of the prayer that, that maybe you've heard and never really thought about, but it, it shows us the same idea. In Matthew chapter six, verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. I'd like to suggest that is an incredibly profound statement. You're like, why? That doesn't sound so profound. So you might look at that and go, well, what about tomorrow's bread? Like, all you're gonna give me is today's bread? Why, why not tomorrow? Because that, you know, if I wanna plan ahead for my bread, why can't I worry about tomorrow? And the reality is, is Jesus isn't in tomorrow, he's in now, he's in the present with you. And so come tomorrow, that will become the present, and he will be there with you, but, but we meet Jesus, we experience Jesus in the moment. And so in the prayer, it's give us today. That's all we need to worry about, it's today because Jesus is fully here right now. Or maybe you look at that and go, can I get my own bread? Why, why do I have to rely on him to get my bread? And some of you are like, I'm gonna make my own bread. I don't, I don't need Jesus. See, there's an incredible simplicity of dependency on Jesus who is with us in the moment. And, and so we, when we can pray things like, give us today my daily bread. That's all I need from you, Jesus. Just give me today because I know that you are fully here now. We begin to see what he's inviting us to, but this comes after a shift. So if you're with me in John chapter two, I wanna begin reading in verse 13, and we're gonna see a day in the life of Jesus. And uh, if you've ever thought Jesus was boring or the Bible is boring, tune in, uh, because this one is anything but. And we're gonna see a conversation that Jesus has that is a pivotal, life-changing conversation when you understand the point that he's making. So John chapter two, verse 13 says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. I'll stop there for a second. Uh, what you have here is Jesus and his followers. Uh, they're, they're coming all around the hillside, and then they come up to the holy city of Jerusalem. They go up to the temple. And so they are going to the hub of spirituality for them. This is where it all is happening. And when they get there, they notice that there is all these animals being sold, and then it talks about money exchange. Now, why? Because what had happened is this system was created where the, the people at the temple had all authority. So if you wanted to worship God, you had to do it on their terms. And so you might come and you bring an animal for sacrifice, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, that animal's not good enough. But don't worry, we have an animal for you. And you're like, oh, okay, and then you'd buy another animal. And they'd have all these ways of making money off people just in order to worship. 
And then if you wanted to buy things at the temple and you wanted to, to use all that, you'd have to have special currency, which only they had, and they controlled the exchange rate. You can imagine how this can easily lead to abuse. And so then you are at their mercy. You have to exchange your money for whatever rate they tell you. And the people in the temple were making ridiculous amounts of money off of the vulnerability of the people. And there was seemingly nothing the people could do about it. If you wanted to experience God, this is what you had to do until Jesus showed up. Now watch this. Uh, it says in verse 15, so Jesus made a whip out of cords. Now, again, let's stop there because this is one of those phrases, if you read past it, you're not letting your imagination fully uh, anticipate this moment. So imagine they're all there, and you can imagine the disciples are like, wow, look at this place. I mean, man, this is, this is impressive. Look at the building, look at the structure. This is amazing. And then someone's like, hey, John, look over there. I'm like, what? Look at Jesus. What's he doing? Like, I don't know. It looks like he's making a whip. What do you mean making a whip? Why would he need a whip? I don't know. It looks like he's making a whip. And you can imagine, they're over there talking, watching Jesus. And I imagine, took him, he's just in the corner, just, you know, putting his whip together. And they're like going, why does he need a whip in the temple? Like, we're, we're here to worship God. What is he doing with the whip? They don't know until all of a sudden, he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. That will make a scene. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this. And so the religious gatekeepers come out, hold up, Jesus, hold up. We've got a system here. What authority do you have to challenge this system? This system has worked for a long time. This is how it works. If you wanna experience God, you go through this. What authority do you have to tell us that it can be done any other way? Notice Jesus' answer. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's a bold answer to that question. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? Now, there is so much Jewish history about the significance of the temple. This is the second temple they have built. The first one was destroyed. This one is going to get destroyed uh, you know, within this generation. Uh, and so there's so much significance about it. But the temple was where you met God, everybody knows that. God lives in the temple. You go and you visit God, you go see God, you experience God at the temple. And Jesus shows up and his behavior makes no sense if you understand that God lives in the temple. Now, we might look at them today and go, man, those, those ancient people, they just did not understand how God worked or how life worked. And yet the reality is we do the same thing today. Now we've modernized it. And so we don't say God lives in the temple. We say God lives in the church building, right? We, we, we come and we, we, we meet God in this space. And, and that's why, uh, to be perfectly honest, a lot of Christians get a bunch of weird ideas about what has to happen in the church. Because in our minds, the church is where God lives. The building is where God lives. And so it's got to be done a certain way because that's God's house. And maybe we think, oh, God lives in 
Christian music and God lives in Christian movies and God lives in holy places and God lives, and we begin to assign all these places where God lives, where you go if you want to experience God. And it's the same thinking that Jesus is confronting in John chapter two. And here's the problem with this thinking. If you can visit God, then you can leave God. So if you can go visit God, oh, because God lives there, then when you leave, you can leave God behind. But God doesn't work like this. When you try to leave, he's still with you. It's kind of like a number of you have tried to leave your kids behind. It doesn't work. They're still with you wherever you go, right? This is Jesus. He's just, you can leave him behind. He's gonna follow you wherever you go. And so if you have this idea, I go and I visit God, I'm going to see God, to meet God, you are subconsciously thinking, then when I'm done, I leave God behind. But this is not the way that Jesus works. Because if Jesus is alive, and if Jesus is God, then he's going with you. Then he is always present if those first two questions are true. And and so you go, okay, so what is Jesus trying to communicate then? Check this out, verse 21. But the temple that Jesus had spoken of was his body. This is one of those really bizarre sentences when you are paying attention going, wait a minute, what? Now, if you like to mark in your Bible, underline your Bible, highlight, uh, the phrase was his body is a key phrase in that sentence if you wanna notate that. So we had this conversation. They think they're talking about this temple. Jesus is talking about something totally different and they're, they're crossing paths here. And now John is explaining why. He's explaining, oh, the temple that Jesus is talking about is not the huge building that they're all in. It was his body. After Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Oh yeah, he he talked about his body being the temple, that, that that temple would be raised in three days and that light bulb goes off. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, basically, uh, verse 22 says, after he's raised from the dead, the resurrection showed them that, oh, he really thinks this, and and then they concluded that he is God. So you have like our whole series and these two verses right there, all of these swirling together, coming together over this point. And the point is this, Jesus taught people that he, not some temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else, is the meeting place with God. This is a a radical, irreligious shift of seismic proportions. Everyone in the world knew you went to the temple to meet God. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm the temple. And you're like, wait a minute. This would be weird. How do we understand that the temple is you? Because that temple goes wherever you go. And this is the point Jesus is making. You don't go and visit God. God is visiting you. God is coming to you. And if you understand this, it will shift your thinking on God. One theologian named Greg Boyd says it like this. Never suppose that God is more there than here or more then than now. See, we tend to move God. He's either in a different place or a different time, but he's not usually fully present with us. But if you begin to realize 
what Jesus is saying about he is the temple. He is the meeting place between us and God. No building will ever do this. Then you begin to realize God is fully here. Now, you might have heard a, a phrase that gets used in Christian circles. Uh, we often talk about thin spaces and thick spaces. Now, this is an idea. Sometimes someone will say, wow, that was such a thin space. And what they mean by that is I could just perceive God. I could see God easier than I normally can. And, and, and you know, in contrast, a thick space is when you go to someone and you're like, I just can't sense God. I, I don't feel like God's here. This, he feels so distant. Well, the reality is I have experienced both of those, but the difference is not that in some moments Jesus was with me, in some moments he wasn't. It was my perception, my understanding of his presence. And there's a number of things that, that affect the way we can understand whether or not Jesus is with us. I, I learned this one time a number of years ago. I was taking a class for my master's degree, and in this class, we had to go, and, and uh, one of the assignments was you had to go experience an, uh, an, a worship experience outside of Christianity, and then write about it. And so I'm like, okay, that, that sounds strange, but let's go find something cool. And so I decided for this assignment, I would go and meditate with some Buddhists, because that sounded like an interesting thing to do. So I found a local place where uh, you could have a you know, weekly uh, meditation with some Buddhists. I show up having no clue what to expect, and uh, I, I get to there, and all the shoes are at the door, and so I'm like, okay, I take my shoes off, so I go inside, and everyone is sitting so quiet. No one's talking, no one's mingling, it's just you come in, you sit down, and so I sit down, and we wait for a few minutes, and the room fills up, and then the instructor uh, comes to us, and he, he gives us a little like setup for what we're about to do, and he says, uh, we're gonna sit together uh, in silence for about 45 minutes, and I thought, dear Jesus, what have I got myself into? I've never sat silent for 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this. And, uh, and so he begins to explain, you know, hey, the goal of this time is to clear your head, you know, remove all thoughts from your mind and, and, you know, go to this place of just peace and serenity. And so this is what he's instructing us to do. And he used a phrase. I never heard this phrase before, but I've never forgotten it. He said, don't get discouraged when you think of a thought and you're trying not to. He said, touch it with your awareness and let it go. All right, touch it with my words. So I'm sitting here, I'm getting the thing, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fully experience this with, with you know, this meditation with these Buddhists. And so we get into this time, and I have never been so quiet with other people in a room in my life. You see, if we try to do something like this in the church, and I said, all right, we're gonna spend 20 minutes, we're all gonna sit quietly. You know what would happen? A number of you would start coughing. <clears throat> <clears throat> All of a sudden, we just have to make noise. Like, we're so uncomfortable with silence. And I, I've seen this. But the Buddhists don't do this. They just sit quietly. So much so that I thought, like, I might be on one of those shows where everyone leaves, and I open my eyes again, and I'm alone in the room. Like, it was so silent. That I'm, I kept, like, looking around going, they're still here, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, there's no noise, nothing. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna remove all thoughts from my mind. I don't know how your mind works. Mine is racing a mile a minute. And so I start thinking, oh yeah, I got that thing on Tuesday. I gotta figure that out. I'm like, nope, touch it with my awareness. Let it go. I'm like, all right, that felt good. And then I'm like, oh, Wednesday night, my kid's got that game. I'm like, no, touch it with my awareness. Let it go. I start doing this and it's like, guys, I'm like, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it. Go away from me. Like, it is so hard I don't even realize how many thoughts are going through my mind at once, and so I'm doing my best, and it is like slow going of just constantly doing this and doing this over and over again. Probably about 20 to 25 minutes in, 
I get to this place where I have finally calmed my mind down and I'm legitimately not thinking about anything. And then a new thought comes to my mind. What now? Because I'm like, I think I got like 20 minutes more of this and I'm not thinking about anything. And then I have this like realization, hey, my instructor never told us what to do once you achieve this, once you remove it all, then what? There was no then what. It was just get there and you know, see if you can. I'm like, I'm there. Nothing else I'm thinking about. Now what? And in that moment, I had just the most beautiful sense, and this was not audible, but it was very clear that Jesus said to me, hey. I was like, oh, hey. He's like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you're here. Like, <laughs> I forgot about it. Like, you're here with me. And I had the most beautiful experience with Jesus because there was nothing else I was thinking about. And I remember Jesus, you know, basically saying, hey, it's, it's like great to have this space with you where, man, we're just connecting. And, and then I had this moment where I felt like Jesus was like, look around you. So I opened my eyes, I peeked, and I realized everyone else there was clearing their minds, but they had nothing to fill it with. They didn't know Jesus. And so while they're emptying their minds, Jesus began to, to lay on my heart, why don't you just start interceding for them, start praying for them? And so I began to like, you know, I'd look at the girl sitting in front of me and go, Jesus, speak to her. Give her ears to listen to you. As she removes these thoughts from her mind, may you fill it. I began just to go down the line praying for people. I prayed for the instructor. There was a, a Buddhist monk sitting next to him. I prayed for the monk. And then I had this like really kind of terrifying thought. I'm like, what if they catch on that I'm praying for them? <laughs> like, what if like the monk opens his eyes like, the Holy Spirit's here. Who brought the Holy Spirit in? You know, like, ah, sorry, I gotta go. Like, I don't know how this works. I don't know, you know, I probably shouldn't be praying in Jesus' name in the Buddhist, whatever. But I just had this like moment where I was like, wow, they are all looking for something and I have found it. I, I, I know Jesus. And I just had the incredible experience with Jesus because Jesus got to lead that conversation. Jesus got to take my mind wherever he wanted it to go because I had calmed it down and there was nothing else that I was thinking about. Now, in case you're sitting here like, well, we gotta find a new church because this pastor's nuts. Let me, just hold on a second before you walk out, let me show you a verse that the Apostle Paul said and I want you to think about applying this. 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I got to experience this the night I meditated with Buddhists. I took all of my thoughts captive to Christ. Now the challenge is, I don't often take all of my thoughts captive. Sometimes they've got me captive. But on that night, I was able to control my mind, to slow everything down, to take it captive for Christ, and Jesus took the difference. Jesus made up for whatever gap, whatever I had removed, it was just quickly filled with Jesus. So what does it mean for us if Jesus is still with us. It means that every moment matters. Every moment of your life is filled with the sacred. And if you understand this, this should cause us to, to, to change our approach, to change the value we put in the moments, to live differently. 
as Shane Claiborne has said, everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes, right? We want the big, huge moments. Let's have the epiphanies with God, the huge spiritual highs, and we, we neglect the fact that Jesus is present through everything, through every moment. Now, if you understand this, you, you would move away from the things that we often think. I hear people say, well, you know, my life would be different, my experience with Jesus would be different if I was a pastor. Or it would be different if I could lead worship. Or it would be different if I understood the Bible better. No, it would be different if you expected that Jesus was with you. That's what would be different. Is that you could go through every moment of every day with the awareness that Jesus is with you. Now, as I was writing this, there's one guy that came to my mind that I've read about for years and, and I think is a great example of this. It was a, uh, a Christian monk who uh, was named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s. And his job was to be the cook for everybody else. And so he was the guy preparing the meals, doing the dishes, working in the kitchen. And yet, he made it his focus to practice what God was doing in his midst, to just be aware of what God was doing, no matter what he was doing throughout his day. And he used to write these things down, these thoughts that he had. Now, after his death, they, they looked at all these things that he had written, they put them together, and they put it into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And if you are interested in this subject, this is a great little book that you can read that's all about Brother Lawrence's reflections on things that he learned and how to experience God in each moment. Now, I wanna read one of these to you uh, to, to help you to understand the way that Brother Lawrence applied this idea. He said, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Now, this is like, if you're following, this is like uh, practicing God's presence 301. This is pretty advanced stuff. What he's saying is, he is so dialed in to the reality that God is present in the moment that he can be in the kitchen with everybody calling you know, for things. Anyone ever been a food server? That's an impressive claim, okay? I have done that. Man, if you're waiting tables and the noise of a kitchen, that is crazy. And he's saying, that's the same to me as in a time of prayer, that I can be so dialed in to the presence of God. And what he knows is what is true for all of us, he just lived that way. He lived with the appreciation that while he was doing the dishes, he was enjoying the presence of God because God is with us. So let me ask you, how are you living with God in each moment? How, how are you taking advantage of what Jesus has told us here? If you fast forward in the, the Gospel of John, you get to chapter 17, and John records a prayer that Jesus prays that, that again, adds to the same idea. Jesus says this, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is Jesus talking to God the Father. And he's saying, look, my goal is that I myself may be in them, you and I. And so this is what is available to each and every one of us. No matter what your journey has looked like to this point, no matter how much you have claimed Jesus or not claimed Jesus, the reality is that Jesus wants to be in our life 
each and every moment. This was his idea. This was his plan. We just tend to overlook this. We just tend to neglect this and don't realize that Jesus wants to be fully with us. So how do we do that? How do we be present with Jesus as Jesus is present with us? Well, think about the way we are interpersonally. You ever have a conversation with someone and while you catch yourself, while they're talking to you, you're already thinking about your response? Like before they have finished, you know, this is what I'm gonna say next and you're just waiting until they stop talking before you enter in, you know, your part of the conversation. I would call this aiming a conversation, right? You are listening, but you're not really listening because you're aiming where the conversation is going to go next. And whenever you aim a conversation, you are not fully present. There are things that you are missing what is being said to you because all you're thinking about is what you're about to say next. A better way to have a conversation is to fully listen to what the person is saying, then react, then give your response to it. Not, oh yeah, I know where this is gonna go. I know what I'm going to say next. It's the idea of aiming a conversation. Now I want you to think about the way that you pray. If you've ever spent time praying with God, how much of that time is spent aiming Hey, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what I need you to do, right? Now, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Jesus has certainly modeled that. Uh, We find lots of uh, followers of Jesus modeling prayers where you can aim things at God. But I want to ask this question. Can we pray without aiming? Like, is it possible that we could maybe begin with aiming, but get to a place where we're not aiming Jesus anymore? Where we just say to him, look, this is your time now. I'm just listening. And, and, and kind of like Brother Lawrence, I would like to suggest this is a more advanced way to practice the presence of God. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong coming to God with, with the desires of your heart. Nothing wrong with that. But there's another level where maybe you start with that and then you say, okay, God, what do you wanna talk about? What, what kind of things do you want to, to put on my heart? And if you're interested in going, yeah, I wanna, I wanna really go deeper with this this week, I, I would try to spend time praying without aiming. Just Listen. Be available, you know, surrender your thoughts, take every thought captive to Christ and go, what do you wanna talk about? Where would Jesus aim you if you spent time with him this week? Maybe he would revisit some past hurt in your life or a a, a memory of pain in order to bring healing to you as you work through it with him. I've watched him do that in people's lives. Maybe he would bring up your opinion on something that you, you are convinced you're right. And Jesus is interested in changing your opinion uh, to his opinion. And and as you would just spend that time listening, you might begin to shift some thinking as Jesus and the spirit of God begins to impress upon you. Maybe if you were just uh, listening, God would prompt you to do something that sounds crazy to you, that is not your idea. But the the nudge would be from Jesus just to prompt you into some new way forward. I've seen Jesus do all of these things in people's lives when we begin to allow him, we just say, hey, this this is yours. And you will never know the answer to that until you try it. Until you say, okay, Jesus, this is yours. What do you want to do with it? You know, uh, occasionally I'm asked, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you think Christianity is true? And my answer is always very easy. It's because I've met Jesus. It's not more complicated than that. I've met Jesus, that, that's why. And so if anyone tried to convince me Jesus wasn't real, I would just say, doesn't line up with my life. Does not line up with my experiences. I have met Jesus. And, and usually that person's like, well, that's not a very convincing argument for me. 
I'm like, well, if you would meet Jesus the way I've met Jesus, you'd believe the same thing. And my desire would be for every single one of us to meet Jesus, to, to listen to Jesus. And, and the moment you begin to sense Jesus speaking to you, you begin to hear Jesus, you, you begin to go, whoa, he really is still with us. He really is alive. He really is God. You don't need any more convincing arguments than that experience with the living God. And it is available to every single one of us. And so I wanna close by sharing something that Brother Lawrence wrote. And again, this guy understood this. So much uh, profound thought here. But as we think about this idea, here's what he suggests. Think often on God. By day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. This is this idea. Leave him not alone. I love that. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not then forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. In a word, this is our profession. If we do not know it, we must learn it. This is what it means to follow God. It means you don't just read about God, you don't just hear about God, you don't just sing about God, you experience Jesus for yourself. And so we're gonna give you a moment to, to begin to practice this, to begin to, to do this. I'm gonna pray, and then our band is gonna come forward, and uh, they're gonna play a song for us. But the, the, the beginning of the song, we're just gonna play instrumentally. So we're not gonna make you sit in silence. You don't have to all get your coughs ready, okay? We're gonna play instrumentally, and we're gonna invite you just to listen. And I want you to just to begin trying to calm your mind. And as I've already heard from numerous people today, they're going, wow, this is really hard. My mind goes, and I'm like, I get it. But begin to practice taking every thought captive. I'm going, okay, Jesus, this is yours. I'm giving you the, the, the chance you know, to, to shape me. I want to be aware of you. And then after a, a few moments of just giving you that space, we're gonna close in a song that is celebrating and singing about the reality that God is with us right now and that we can learn to be more in tune with this. And I can think of no greater way to begin to practice this incredible reality that not only is Jesus alive, not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is still with us. Let's pray together. Jesus, make us aware of you. That in this moment, this is, this is sacred space. Not because we're in the walls of a church building, but because we are tuning our eyes to you. To this realization that you are always here, you're always with us, that you want to live in us. May this realization forever change us. May we be marked by it. May we live differently because of it. And so I pray for anyone that has never heard you, has never experienced you for themselves, that this would be the start of that journey. That as you speak to them, they would learn to hear your voice, learn to sense that you are present with them right now. And for those of us, maybe we haven't heard from you in a while,
May you remind us of your great affection for us, that you are not far, you are not distant, you are near, and you desire to lead us forward in each and every moment. May our realization of this and our response to this shape us as a community. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.